0: Good evening world and welcome to Haunting Season. Tonight is a double feature because, well, I had the opportunity to collaborate with an incredible storyteller named Charlie. Charlie is the host of the podcast Knowing My Nightmares, where on each episode Charlie uses his creative writing skills to tell the story of a nightmare he had, and then he unpacks what it all meant with in-depth dream analysis. Well, since I have nightmares all the time, I wrote up one of my recent ones about a creature crawling out from under my bed and warning me about the Ono Man, and Charlie went to town telling me what it all meant. That episode is linked in the description below, and in exchange, Charlie has offered an original story for Haunting Season Tonight about a Penangalan. It's an awesome story. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did.
1: Today is my father's funeral. I am his only son and sole beneficiary of his estate. Being back in this old house feels strange. Looking out the grand window located in the center of the manor on the second floor, I surveyed this small village of Irwood in the distance. As daylight falls under the horizon, I'm filled with memories from my childhood. There was an old rhyme that all the kids used to say. It went, When the sun goes down, the children don't play. Out in the dark, the children it slays. So be home before the fall of night, or the beast will eat you with only one bite. In retrospect, I realize now this was just a clever way for our parents to convince everyone to be home before the streetlights came on. As far as nursery rhymes go, this one's pretty dark. However, being back in my hometown after so long, a mysterious darkness has shrouded the village. Joey. Mr. Rhodes, my neighbor, called up to me from the bottom of the master staircase, which extended down into the foyer towards the front entrance. I turned and faced him as he continued. Joey, if there's anything you need, anything at all, don't hesitate to come next door. Thank you, Mr. Rhodes, for your support and thanks for all your help today." No problem at all. And call me Alex, seeing as we're neighbors now. He forced a smile, but failed. He appears as tired as I am. My wife Rita has been a bit ill lately with her pregnancy, so if we aren't home you can speak with our nanny. Uh, Her name is Thea. She can help you with anything you need. I nodded my thanks. Alex turned and left through the open front doors along with the last few people who attended the funeral reception. I was now alone. Despite my exhausted state, I sat awake beside the fireplace situated in my father's old study. This is the only room without a draft. I don't remember the house being so cold. Journals, papers, and stacks of books filled the room. My father was a historian, and even though his energy diminished more and more each day, he worked away in this office. Outside, it began to rain. Thunder rolled across the horizon. Next to me was one of my father's old leather skin journals. I thumbed through it with slight disdain, thinking of all those nights I took care of him while he wandered the house with ravings of a madman. The journal was filled solely with theories of the supernatural, information about demons and deities, as well as scribblings about lycanthropic animals and vampiric creatures. The pages from the book fell from my fingers as cold wind blew through the window. Followed by Thunder, now closer. I grabbed the window's shutters to pull them closed, but spotted something truly strange. Outside, above the adjoining farm, a dark shape, like a balloon holding thick ropes hovering across the field, its silhouette only visible by the lightning in the distance. Thunder slammed against the sky and scared me for a moment, and the thing was gone. What was that? I closed the shutters and locked the window. Maybe I'm spending too much time reading over my father's old books, and the superstition has rubbed off on me. Tired, I retreated to my room and fell asleep before my head hit the pillow. That night, my subconscious mind was filled with vivid nightmares, dark images of my dad wandering the house like he used to, but without expression and without life, dressed in the same clothes he was buried in. I awoke in a sweat to the sounds of hammering coming from next door. Exhausted, I sat up on the edge of my bed. There was an ache in my side. The pounding continued. Outside the window, Alex was taking planks of wood and nailing them to his house in random spots. He appeared nervous and drained. A young woman also watched him from the second floor of the neighbours. That's not his wife, Rita. It must be Thea, the nanny Alex mentioned. She saw me then walked away from the window. (sighs) The left side of my abdomen nagged me with a dull pain. I lifted my shirt to find a nasty bruise about the size of a walnut. I hurried to the bathroom and pressed a wet towel against the raw sore, which sent searing pain through my torso. When did this happen? At that point, it occurred to me. This is the same type of wound my father had throughout his body in his dying days. Do I have what he had? The same sores and the maddening dreams he suffered from, like the nightmare I had last night. I remained alone in my father's estate, well, now my estate. One cold and rainy morning, I thought of the warm sunny weather on the American west coast I left behind to be here for my dad. And now that he's gone, I remain in this dying village of Irwood, a village seemingly plagued by a mysterious sickness. The Rhodes house next door became covered more each day with an assortment of wood and metal patchwork nailed to the house, and many of the houses throughout Irwood have these same random coverings. (sighs) My side ached. A loud commotion rang out next door. I rushed to the window to see Alex and Thea helping Rita into the passenger side of their car. It looks like she's going into labor. Alex hurried into the front seat and drove off quickly down the street. Thea stood watching for a moment, then made her way to the backyard where she began hanging laundry. Her black hair and fair skin captivated me. Now would be a good time to go over and say hello. I exited out the back door of the house and crossed into the neighbor's yard, making myself known to Thea with a friendly, hello. She greeted me the same and continued to clip bedsheets to the line. I was taken aback by a strong, invasive smell of vinegar as I approached her. I thought I'd come over and introduce myself. My name's Joey. Is Miss Rhodes going into labor?
0: Yes. Her contractions started early this morning. Very exciting, isn't it?
1: Her voice sounded delicate, matching the way she presented herself. Ugh, the aroma of vinegar hung heavy in the air, making it difficult to breathe in my eyes water. Was it something she used to clean the clothes with? As she moved past me to hang more fabrics, the scent wafted from her. Never looking away from her task, she continued,
0: It will be nice to finally meet the baby.
1: Yes, it will. I stood awkwardly and uncomfortable watching her work. Desperate to leave the powerful aroma, I said, Well, I just wanted to say hi and introduce myself. I'll leave you be.
0: Nice meeting you, Joey. See you later.
1: Leaving was a relief to my senses as my lungs were filled with fresh morning air. How do Mr. and Mrs. Rhodes deal with that? Did she always reek of vinegar?" Alex and his wife didn't return that evening. The flames danced in the small fireplace, warming my body from this cold house. From this cold town. From this cold new life. The bones of the house creaked and cracked with age, shifting from the wind as if alive. Staring into the fire, I thought of the strange, dangling shape which glided across the grassy plains only a few nights ago. What could that have been? The sounds from the manor cried out in the hallways, and paranoia descended upon me. I began roaming the corridors, securing the house. First the windows, followed by the front door. As I locked the back door, a worrisome realization occurred to me. My father used to wander the house, doing this same thing. Suddenly, I saw Thea walking through the garden behind her house. She wore a white nightgown. Her steps were quick, almost a run. She reached the back of the yard and entered into the woods. What is she up to out there? It's almost midnight. The gusty wind outside breathed through the house and against my body. Damn this weather. I retreated to my bed, thinking about what Thea is up to. That night, I was again plagued by another nightmare. Horrible visions played out in my mind. Visions of Irwood in ruin, and the people of the small village hiding, dying, and horribly mutilated along the streets. I woke from these gruesome pictures, panicked, and in pain. The left side of my stomach hurt badly, slowly. I moved my hand down to inspect it and felt a slimy mass. I threw back my bloodied sheets, revealing a snake-like creature attached to my side, feeding on me. I gripped the wet serpent and pulled hard to remove it from my gut. It resisted and tightened its grip. I fell from my bed, fighting this leech. And with one strong tug, I ripped the tentacle from my body, which sprayed blood all around the room. The snake retracted across the ground and slithered through a hole in the floor. I could hear it moving beneath the floorboards, then up through the walls, and finally outside. A dark shadow moved past the window, making terrifying sounds like a screeching hum. It moved around to the front of the house with incredible speed. Through the grand window at the top of the stairs, the monster appeared somewhat visible against the blackness of the night sky. It was covered in long, dark hair, with dangling things hanging from a large mass heading towards the village. I sat in the study, the raw hole in my gut now packed with first aid and wrapped tight. My father used to complain about images of snake-like things entering his chamber between the floorboards, feeding on him. And even though none of the doctors could explain all the sores around his body or his depleting energy, none of us believed his crazy tales of horror. I believe him now, or am I losing my mind? I now know why my father spent so much time in this study. There's no cracks or holes in the walls. Nothing can slip into this room. I remain in the office for the rest of the night. All throughout the next day and into the evening, I found myself walking around the grounds checking for cracks and crevices in the house, and making sure each window was locked securely. At the east side of the house, a car approached outside. Mr. and Mrs. Rhodes had returned from the hospital, now with a cute bundle of joys securely held in Rita's arms. They entered the front door of their house, but at the same time, Thea was exiting out the back. What is she up to? She again walked into the woods, and despite my lack of sleep and weariness, I was curious to find out where she was going. So I followed her. The sun had mostly set, draping the forest in twilight. It was neither totally dark nor completely lit outside. Ahead of me I could see Thea, again dressed in the white nightgown. She was standing in a small clearing. I crept up along the side, hiding myself behind thick bushes. She was standing next to a huge wooden barrel, cut in half and filled with a clear liquid. Surprisingly, she removed her nightgown, revealing her completely naked body. What is she doing? She then stepped into the bath and sat down. Nothing could have prepared me for what happened next. Thea snapped her head back, moving it around in quick jerks, and gradually her neck began to elongate, stretching until her skin started to split apart. With her eyes walled and distant and her mouth agape, her head slowly detached from her body. Her spine still connected to her head like a long whipping tail. Her organs and entrails somehow attached, dangling from Thea's floating head, dripping blood and bile into the wooden vat where her empty, naked carcass remained. Her innards and guts moved like tentacles. The disembodied head silently drifted up over the trees and glided back to the house. I stayed in the bushes, stupefied by what I had just witnessed. I regained my senses and slowly approached the wooden barrel. A strong stink of vinegar emitted from it. The empty body looked like a hollow mannequin sitting in a bath of vinegar. I grabbed the human shell and turned it around to face me so I could physically inspect it up close. Thea is what attacked me, the creature that slowly fed on my father night after night. The same vampiric creature he was obsessed about. He tried to warn me. He tried to warn... the roads. I dashed away from the clearing and back into the woods. Swiftly running through the grass, I approached the neighbor's house, looking to the skies to ensure that the horrible beast wasn't near. I banged on the front door, and Alex answered. Without invitation, I entered in and shut the door and locked it. Alex stepped back, looking concerned. On his neck and forearm were the same raw bites that covered my father, and now me. Joey, what are you doing here? We need to get out of here. Get Rita and the baby and leave this house. It's Thea. Alex looked me in the eyes. Based on his expression, it was clear he knew what I was talking about. Without warning, a loud scream rang out from the second floor. Rita! Alex yelled. He swiftly moved past me and grabbed a double-barrel shotgun from the front closet. It seems he was somewhat prepared. He jumped his way up the stairs, and I followed, closely behind. We burst through the door into the master bedroom. Rita was on the floor in front of the baby's crib, wrestling with a fleshy tendril which snapped at her like a bird's beak. The long appendage had slipped through a crack in the wall. The menacing, vampiric head floated just outside the window, looking through the glass with blood-red eyes. The tentacle was the beast's tongue, elongated out through Thea's mouth between two razor-sharp fangs. Without hesitation, Alex readied his shotgun and blasted through the window, causing the monster to retract her disgusting mouth organ and retreat, but only for a moment. With the window smashed, the unbodied head quickly flew into the room. Her bloody entrails gripped the shotgun as Alex pulled the trigger, shooting a hole in the ceiling. Rita and the baby were crying in the corner. I jumped up to help, but the thing knocked me to the floor. Thea engulfed Alex's neck with more slimy guts and tightened her grip. Alex fell to his knees, struggling to breathe. Thea's long tongue raised him up while he kicked his legs violently, and with a quick twist, she snapped his neck, then dropped his limp, dead body to the floor. Hovering in the center of the room, in full display, the vampiric creature slowly turned towards Rita and her baby, its hair weightlessly flowing as if underwater. The hellish abomination's dripping organs and long intestines moved like an octopus inching closer to them. And then she spoke
0: I've waited so long for this. No longer do I need to feed on this disgusting town. I finally get to eat the most delectable treat. Your baby!
1: Thea darted at the infant. I managed to grab a long piece of glass and jump forward and sliced into her meat, cutting into her liver. The devil wailed around the room, letting out a blood-curdling scream. <coughs> Scared, it flew out the window. She drifted across the yard and returned to the woods. Are you okay? I yelled to Rita. She nodded, visibly disbelieving the events that just occurred. That monster's the one terrorizing this village and the thing that killed my father. Still holding the glass shard, bloodied by my grip, I ran out from the house and into the woods. Loud, guttural choking echoed through the trees. The horrible disfigurement of Thea, still naked, staggered around the forest clearing, now attached to her body, but backwards. The disembodied head must have entered into the empty carcass, still soaking in the vinegar, facing the wrong way. Her body was still turned around from when I examined it before. She stumbled around violently, coughing, deranged, and panicked. With my glass knife in hand, I ran up to her and cut deep into her throat. She fell to the ground and her head separated, sloshing out onto the forest floor. The grotesque flesh pile crawled away slowly (sighs) until she stopped, dead. I remained still while the adrenaline rush washed through me. Then, I returned to the manor. The fire is warm in my study. I sit examining my father's old books, each one describing monsters of legend. Rita and the baby moved far away after Alex's funeral, probably for the best. That violent night is branded in my mind, and I'm struggling to cope with the events that unfolded. What scares me most about the entire experience is what other creatures exist out there in the world. Are each of the monsters and devils in these books real? Are they out there now, looking for prey?
0: Thank you so much, Charlie, for submitting to tonight's double feature. Remember to hop over to Charlie's show, Knowing My Nightmares, to not only hear my story for the week, but to hear Charlie's in-depth dream analysis and my reactions to it. It's some of the most fun I've had talking about scary things to date. I hope to see you over there. This episode's story was written by Charlie Conlin and is a collaboration with the Knowing My Nightmares podcast. The link is in the bio. Haunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg, and is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Geelan. Executive produced by Patrick James Lynch and Ryan and Matt Geelan. Episodes are produced by Greg Holdsman, edited by Colby Crow, and directed by Joshua Sterling Bragg. Hey, that's me again. Creative support comes from Patrick James Lynch, Cody Dugan, Jessica Richmond, and Mel Forrest. And if you want more creepy content on the daily, check out Haunting Season on TikTok. I'll see you next time.